1: Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. I'm so excited today because with me here in the studio is the fabulous Emma Bannister. Now... Emma is the founder and CEO of a company called Presentation Studio, based here in Sydney. Her view is radically different when it comes to all things presentation. She has seen over the years a shift in the culture of presentations and a move to okay, how do we use presentations not just to simply tell people what we're telling them, but to actually engage them? And she believes there's a, a new way, which Um, is all around visual thinking and visual, um, visual design. Her clients are varied and international clients such as Telstra, Westfield, Microsoft, Qantas, and people hire Bannister and her team, Emma and her team, to create powerful presentations that really give their organizations and their leadership teams the competitive edge to win high stakes and multi-million dollar pitches she's regularly asked to speak um, regularly asked to publish her thoughts and is a true blue entrepreneur that started her business on a kitchen bench please welcome the fabulous Emma Bannister thanks for having me so That's my view of what you do. Mm. Um, What's your view? What is it that you do? And um, maybe give us the whistle-stop tour of how you got
0: here. Sure thing. Well, I started back in the UK. So everything for me, I was born in London and raised there um, up until I came here to Australia, and my background has been in graphic design, so it's having that creative feel for things, and I realised there was a real opportunity within the presentation industry, and I I can share more about that later, but it was around seeing that opportunity and then helping support that, and, and, and the business has grown as a result of fulfilling that need. And now what we do is we focus really on um, helping to create that impact with our audience, with our clients' audiences, and then really adding value for them so that they can really go forward and smash that opportunity.
1: That's fabulous. What what do you enjoy about what it is that you do? What's the what's the thing that keeps you going?
0: My role in particular is very diverse, so I have a whole range of. Um, Roles under my CEO hat, so it's from speaking through to managing our team. We've got um, 30 people now, um, so there's a lot of. Uh, we're still small enough to have uh, uh, some hands on um, contact with everyone. Um, and the thing that I love most is like inventing stuff. So, as an entrepreneur, it's about seeing a need and finding a solution for our clients so that we can um, really help them with that. So we're forever creating a new um, type of product, like a pitch service or this or that, to, to, to match what they need.
1: Mm. And I'm curious, it's a, it's a bit like my world and being so passionate about networking, it almost makes people want to vomit in their mouth when they say networking. And I reckon that the same thing when you talk about PowerPoint, people go, oh God, clip art and bullet points. What what have you seen in terms of this evolution of presenta- presenting, speaking, and the impact that it can and equally uh, not have in terms of getting that message across?
0: The technology has changed as a platform anyway. So predominantly we work in PowerPoint, and you're right, you know, it's PowerPoint has one of the worst wraps in, of any software out there, yet it's not actually the tool, and Microsoft have made such a huge effort at changing it and making it more user-friendly and the outputs now it's more of a multimedia tool and as such the expectation out there in the workforce is that your presentations are going to be so much better and need to be Um, and so the things that I've seen um, have been making the products easier to use whether that's PowerPoint, Keynote, Canvas one of the newbies on the scene probably less so Prezi now which was one of the new ones but seems to have dropped off a lot there's a lot of talk around augmented reality and how people will you be sort of mixing worlds and sharing stories in that way but we're not quite seeing it come to life like people are playing with the tech but not transforming the ability to connect as humans so that's what i'm not seeing yet um but mostly people, whether it's through our education or just general comms, they're, they're getting that bullet point lists don't work. So the biggest thing I'm seeing that is that change of, okay, I get that lists of words don't work, but there's still that uncertainty around, well, what does work? What should I be doing instead?
1: Mm, excellent. So, before we get onto this uh, concept, because I'm sure the listeners would love some tips and tools on, you know, how do they become better at, at creating presentations to get their message across? I want to go back to where it all started. So, when you were uh, so you're obviously from the UK, um,
0: what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to work for Disney. <laughs> And there literally, I spent my whole childhood growing up wanting to be the person that coloured in the animated cells, and then they changed how that was done, and it wasn't on um, cells anymore, so I had to learn how to use a computer, and by the time I'd finished graphic design, I didn't... Um, once to, to, to well, there wasn't really that kind of role anymore, and I ended up working for Deutsche Bank. <laughs> so you're <a laughs> which is about as far from Disney <laughs> as you could ever get, and so, um but it was being a graphic designer for the sales team so we used to have to convert everything to like seven different European languages and lots of PowerPoint, and so it was by creating the powerpoints for those fund managers that I identified just how bad PowerPoints were and the fact that um, they they were doing such a bad job but they were talking about these billion-dollar-pound... Sorry, not dollar. Billion-dollar-pound... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Billion-pound deals. Um, and you can not understand what they were saying. So that, that's where it all started. Really.
1: So creativity has pretty much run through your blood for as long as you can remember...
0: Yeah, and I don't really know where it comes from. So my dad is very kind of formal and straight middle management. And my mum was a teacher. But my mum was a special needs teacher. And so she would work with a lot of autistic children. And so everything in my world at home was laminated in a picture. Like everything. Like she would just literally label everything and animate it. And And, and um, I think there was always a very much a visual connection for me and words. And that has evolved over the years as well. Of like seeing how well people respond to a visual connection with with a with a meaning and a message. Mm.
1: What are the um, some of the key watershed moments that have got you to hear?
0: Probably, um, certainly. I mean the. The need of seeing that I wanted to do something about it and that um, I'd identified a niche within presentations. So graphic designers are a dime a dozen, but I did at some point tweak that PowerPoint for graphic designers was really considered to be... Like uh, bottom of the rank, you know, you're not really a, a true designer if you're using PowerPoint, um, and it was much left just for secretaries and DTP. Like it was not cool, and so my, I've made it my mission to transform that and to um, our, our design, train teams of designers so that they can educate and get these really important messages across like some of the communications that we have to provide are so important and life-changing that Mm -hmm. if it wasn't for our service lives literally would be lost
1: Mm. and now as a CEO of a continually growing business that has extended from well you started you started at the kitchen table, didn't yeah. you? Is that right? Twelve
0: years ago. Twelve years ago. So at my kitchen daughter table. is the measure of the company because I was pregnant when I my dad and I built the website and then obviously from the day she was born till now yeah. is how long the business and for about a year and a half it was literally the kitchen bench and then as I started to need more help, uh, I moved to a higher desk and and then now uh, the office that we have now. Eventually, wasn't that, what not the, straight away, there's <laughs> a line between 12 years. <laughs> yeah. Um, what were some of the challenges in those early
1: days? Like, I'm imagining starting out, young baby, and I'm sure there's people with children listening to this, and we don't even need to go into the juggle, but this concept of, you know, how did you take what was a passion and build it into a business? When was the moment when you went, oh my gosh, there's there's a business here?
0: It was after freelancing, so I was a freelancer providing this service effectively, and when I realised that I was working every single minute, and there were other things I could be doing better to to make more money, I was like, I I haven't got time to do this, but I need someone else that can do this, so I would then get other freelancers to come on board and help, so the first other roles within the business were other freelance designers, and then the first full-time position was an account manager because I just sucked at that side of it. And throughout our growth, it was always about hiring the person that could do the things that I wasn't good at um, to scale. And so now 30 people down, there's 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 still that point where I, I, I hire or outsource all of the jobs that I sh- could or shouldn't be doing. Um, and, and, and we've grown that way
1: mm. and as a as a creative ceo um what what does that bring to running a business challenges probably because mm. i'm always <laughs>
0: coming up with different ideas and ways of doing things and um but i'm fast thinking so you know if I, if I, the, the nice thing about our structure is that if someone comes to me with an idea i'm like yep we can do that but we have over the more recent years aligned to a clear strategy so we have um, a very clear 2021 plan um, and I know that everything we're doing is aligning to that and the core we've got four core pillars and we're working within those everyone knows what they are and everything is aligned to that so that is um, really good for us what um i'm
1: imagining over the years over 12 years of building a business that you have regularly sought out advice and support um what's some of the best advice that that people have given you as you've grown in yourself as a ceo as a mother as a friend and the business on top of that
0: so um, the, the the probably the best advice that I ever got was just around finding your niche and owning it, mm. and it was actually my dad that said it to me, and it was along the lines of, you know, find the job that other people aren't doing or don't want to do, and that's where you can own it, mm. and and that's really one of the main things I remember him saying, and I, and I did did it. Mm. He's right.
1: Do you do you see? Because there's more and more people setting up their own businesses now. Do you see that that's a mistake that some people make? That they're they're just being a me too or the same as everybody else, and then struggle, it's like struggle street.
0: You have got to identify how you're different, but equally, um, you you need to have something that people need. So there's no point in just being different for the sake of it. Like if there's a hundred other people creating baby bibs don't do that mm. um, you've got to have a point of difference and there has to be a need and you have to be passionate about it and i think one of the best ways of finding that is is something that concerns you bothers you and 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 then building on that to turn it around mm. and that's that's how you can achieve it
1: over over 12 years i can't imagine it's all been unicorns and rainbows <laughs> or maybe it has is there is there a moment in your corporate um Journey of building your business, where something horrendous has happened, or there's been those failures. And um, what was one of those favourite fa- failures? How did it set you up for success? There's been plenty,
0: plenty, <laughs> plenty, plenty. And um, normally they've been around people, so um, not the biggest ones, and certainly in the early days, were not hiring the right people. So I had a, we we had a, I always thought that. Hiring for the skill was what we needed, but as we grew, the culture was the biggest challenge in maintaining that cultural um, celebration and values that we have throughout the team, and so now we hire based on the cultural fit within the team and then the technical skills isn't, is important but it does not outweigh the cultural fit. So if, they, if we know, and that's why multiple people will interview, so we've actually got interviews going on right now and that is um, diff all the different teams within the business will interview that person to ensure that there'll be that collaboration and support um, from everyone. So they. So all it's not one person no. interviewing. That's and it's cool. never me. Right. Interestingly, we make that decision. Um, that I don't. So yeah, I get final say, it, sign off, but I don't. Um, yeah, each each different department will be involved separately.
1: And is that because when you interviewed, you got it wrong? or Because I'm one of these people where I interview. I said to my one of my uh, co-directors, go, you, you have to do this because I, li- I end up liking people. Yeah. That's
0: why I recruit them. Yeah, I think that's probably why I got banned. <laughs> you got banned.
1: You talked about culture. Um, I'm currently reading a book called The Culture Code by... Um, Daniel Coyle it's an absolutely fascinating read and he talks about um, various things the sense of belonging as being important uh, creating an environment of safety and uh, preparedness for vulnerability and and doing stuff that people are passionate about what sort of things do you do within presentation studios and organization to keep that culture going
0: we actually have a culture club which um, every month the Culture Club will organise an activity. So yesterday we had, uh, it was Halloween, and we had Pin the Spider on the Web, and we had a whole, everyone created these incredible um, sweet and savoury Halloween dishes, and we all dressed up, we, everyone got involved, and in full-on amazing outfits. And So we have a lot of those kind of celebrations. We have a very um, diverse culture within the team. So actually quite a few of them don't drink myself included and so we don't tend to go off just to the bar we we do a lot of games we do a lot of um um activities around food (laughs) we made had sushi making um where everyone had like tables and we they were all very quite competitive as well so we had the best sushi roll and um and videos of how to do it and stuff like that so there is ranging from golf lessons through to um walk team walks and all those sorts of things there is so much emphasis on the, the the cultural coming together and celebrating um but also not enforcing the drinking so fridays there's free drinks but it's 15 at five so everyone down towards catches up and then they can either shoot off and go home stay drinking or go back can do what they want to do. So it's not ever enforced mm. what they want to do.
1: And all that stuff, is it, there's um, a couple of people I've been talking to where there's almost a concern about do you do that stuff during office hours mm. or after hours? And if you're doing it during office hours, are you losing productivity? What have you found from your experience? Yeah, she
0: did a poll because we were getting really mixed feedback. So the, we, we asked the question, would you rather do it at lunchtime, at four o'clock or after work? And nearly everyone said a mixture of work uh, sorry of lunch and four o'clock um but when it was four o'clock it was about making sure everyone down told at the same time because it's not fair if someone's working on a deadline that they have to sort of, so we really try although sometimes it's not possible but really try and make sure that no one's working on a deadline and that we, we manage the time that way so mostly yes or during office hours but i feel like the team love what we do, so they'll all work towards getting everything done. Hopefully, in order to take that time together and help each other out, so it actually motivates them to get stuff done mm. and, and then stop. So, but but the activity piece isn't all of it. It's that's just like a like a cosmetic thing that you see, the, the energy and the feel when you walk into the office, that's the bit that we strive for. So that's about ringing the bell when we get um, a client that gives us amazing feedback or being really positive about people working together and trying new ideas and all of those things that seem so little. We have a lady that comes in and gives massages and everyone loves that, but it's, it's the other stuff that means the most, recognising people for the work that they do um, and not isolating people for any stuff ups. Mm. Is that something that comes naturally to you, or um, no. is it something you've had to work? At? I've totally worked on it. So our culture was strong when there was four or five of us, and I'm a complete introvert. So for me, the challenge comes with being in a big group of people. So I. I I was fine as a team and there was four or five of us and it was like, I feel like I'd have one-on-one conversations with everyone. Everyone was unclear on the vision and the passion. It was contagious. But as we've grown, 30 people, people—that you can't have that. You have to have other people to filter it through. And so... Um, I've really had to learn and I've had to be clear in my passion and vision so that that is then shared and multiplied by other people. And then we come together to celebrate it.
1: Mm. I'm going to pick up on the comment, I'm a complete introvert. Yes. And I know I know you are because we have had lots of time hanging out around the world together. But as a, um, as a CEO that is building a business, that is having to have big strategic conversations internally and with major clients who is taken to the stage to speak. How, how do you manage yourself as an introvert to make sure that you bring the best of yourself to each situation?
0: I am best in short bursts. So I am best speaking for 40 minutes or even 20 minutes, and I give it everything, and I give everyone my all. I do struggle in a full-day workshop, and I run a lot of full-day workshops, and by the end of it, I'm just completely zapped as you would know like it's just completely exhausting and they're only I only run them for like 15 people so um I don't know how you do this big groups (laughs) I collapse when I get (laughs) I just um but I give it all and then I completely break afterwards and if I've been doing a big week of that then I kind of give 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 and then I come back and I give my team what little is left and then I give my family what little is left and then I do break um, and it's probably not the ideal structure, but then I send myself away, or my husband sends me away, mm. and I go and I recuperate, and I will um, come back then again, bouncing. Mm. Has have you learned
1: that to do that the hard way? <laughs> like, have you, has there is there a moment that you can remember where you actually didn't recognise that, and it all just. Fell apart, and it's only subsequently, with a little bit of age and experience, that you've learned how to make sure you are match fit.
0: I have learned to book it in before it happens, Mm -hmm. and I think that's actually one of the things you taught me the most. So it's like
1: knowing
0: that after that two weeks of being slammed, I'm going to need something. Um, and then just not not actually breaking, because that doesn't help anyone, doesn't help my kids, doesn't help my husband, doesn't help anyone, and certainly doesn't help my team, like all, all these different babies everywhere, and I have to nurture them all, and myself. And there is so much mother's guilt with that. So I was in Singapore a couple of weeks ago. I worked on the Friday and I worked on the Monday, but I had the Saturday and Sunday to myself. And I felt in previous years, I would have felt so guilty. And this year I did not. <laughs> so you do have to learn that. You've got to give yourself permission because no one's going to no say, oh, I know, why don't you take the weekend off? Mm. Who's going to do that? Mm. You have to do it. And how
1: do you, how do you keep the boundary? Um, because I'm imagining it, it takes a lot of discipline mm. or self-discipline to make sure that or people just book know it. you just book it.
0: <laughs> totally just book it. I tell them that – and, and we have kind of fair back. Like, you give what you get, right? So my husband will go off and he'll have his boys' weekends. We have to do that mm. because – I have to do that, that that, that I've learned. Mm.
1: Has there been a moment where you have hit that rock bottom and you, through through experiencing that, developed that some sort of personal rebound plan? I think uh, a lot of the work that I'm doing at the moment with high-performing teams and CEOs, it's this ability to be resilient um, that seems to help those 5% keep going. What's your... Rebound strategy when things are just not going to plan?
0: I, it's actually quite similar. I, I just extract myself from people mm-hmm. and, and so whilst it might seem the opposite if there's a challenge within the office yes I'm here to listen and, and take that that the, what the challenge is on but then it's about extracting myself and and really being able to then focus clearly on what the bigger picture is and how what we need to fix in order to, for that to happen i used to be far more reactive and would just or even ask and and whilst there's obviously the leadership consensus which you gotta ask and get everyone's buy-in and take everyone on the same experience at the same time, you have to be the one that makes the decision. So you get everyone's input, but you can't have a million chefs, all with different motivations and ideas. So if there is a problem, you've got to listen to everyone and not just the managers around what the problem is. Um, identify the problem and then come up with a plan. And I find my best planning is on the plane. Because and I fly a lot to Singapore and there's luckily for me day flights to Singapore now so I just literally 8 hours on the plane and I have solved all of the world's problems by the time I get off
1: I remember travelling with you, I can't remember where it was and it's almost like you'd written 3 chapters of a book and 2 blogs and I, I did feel very like, oh my god, I've done nothing apart from maybe <laughs> meditated and rested It's oh, not bad, <laughs> it's also because I've
0: seen all the movies because I fly too much <laughs>
1: What's um, what's what's next for Presentation Studio? What's the biggest challenge you're facing right now, and and what's next?
0: So we go through periods of growth, and then we stabilize, and then we get squeezed again, and and it's the point where at the moment we're at the everyone's kind of really pressured again. So there's a lot. There's we don't have enough capacity within the team. So that means that it's time to stretch and grow again. And that's what we're scaling up for. So we're recruiting right now for four more roles. And it's um, really about, we, we focused on the growth. We focused on the way that we can nurture and develop our clients and then deliver that. Um, we've now got to be able to deliver that even more. So it's just about building each of our teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and the focus has has been on in terms of delivering our in 2021 strategy through Asia. So we are the leading presentation agency in the Asia Pacific. And for us, that focus now is about really expanding um, through Asia Pacific with the training as well. And so it's um, really helping people throughout Mm. Asia.
1: Mm. So... If you think about, you, you know, you've had a phenomenal growth period over the last 12 years. Um, outside of work, you're a mum. Mm-hmm. You've got two, two girls. How old are the girls? Seven more? and 12. Gosh, how have you managed that? And a husband. And a husband. And a dog. And, and a Labrador.
0: <laughs> Not just any dog.
1: How, how do you manage the lot?
0: I juggle, like mm-hmm. anyone like literally you outsource what you can I get help but you know they're both at the same school now which is much easier it was actually harder when you had one at school one not like you're always trying to juggle that so for me that's been a really great thing that I could put them both in the same place um and so, really, it's just about finding times that each of them feel. And I've only got two. I mean, everyone. so many other people have got lots more. I don't know how you do that. <laughs> I, so, it's just literally a, the, the biggest right. challenge I have with them is making sure that they feel that I'm giving them enough mm. and then saving some for me. Mm. I'm
1: going to ask one of those gender questions, but as a female founder and CEO, again, of a business that is growing and, uh, as you said, leading business in Asia, do you think the challenges are any different as a female CEO?
0: I didn't for years. For about 11 and a half years, I did not think there was any difference and it's interesting because my husband joined the team, this team, in February, which also is a whole different conversation about working with your husband, as you were saying. Yeah, And he has opened doors that I hadn't realized were closed. So I would have had every single gender conversation. I can walk into any executive suite and talk with them and feel 100% fine with that conversation. And I'm now realising that there are more conversations he's having that I wasn't having. And that might be more his personality, but it is different. There is still a different game being played out there, and that is quite interesting. For me, I hadn't realised, because I hadn't felt that, whereas I see it very visibly in some industries. I hadn't seen it in mine. So it's um, there is obviously so much work to be done, but I do not... Love the total gender game. I'm not. I'm, I, I, I want to surround myself with entrepreneurs of all genders, sexes, races, whatever. It is. I don't care.
1: Mm, mm. How does it make you feel though that he can open a door and you can't?
0: I'm very competitive.
1: I can't wait for the bell to ring when you get those next three out <laughs> and above him. Um, what have you, what new habit over the last five years? We were talking before we started recording about the length of our careers and this concept of if you start work at 20 and you finish around 60, essentially you've got 40 years of working and I'm going to give my age away now and I was saying I'm 27 years in and I've got 13 years left. Ah! Um, but looking back over the growth, I, um, Over those 27 years and what you learn about yourself, if you think about yourself, Emma, what's a new belief or habit or behaviour that you've adopted into your world now that has actually improved how you perform?
0: I stopped drinking. Mm -hmm. That's simply, quite simply it. Um, So three years ago, I stopped drinking completely, did dry July and haven't had a sip of alcohol since. And it transformed my life because... I have better clarity of mind, better focus, more energy. Um, I lost friends, so it did completely transform my life because there's people that just, you feel boring and you are boring in comparison, but I am far happier having coffees and brunch and going for walks with people. So that's how it rolls. And, um, And as a result, I know I'm healthier and I'm living that life. A silly habit that I picked up was coffee. <laughs> I seem to stop drinking pickup pick up coffee. But I also bought a sauna and so that's my happy place. It's, it's ridiculously extravagant but I now have a sauna at home and it's the best thing because I just love being warm. It's why I moved to Australia and it gets cold. So I just love going and sweating it out. So I think it's my inner introvert comes up. <laughs> you lock yourself away. Exactly. And the kids can't come in because it's mm. too hot. Mm.
1: Fabulous. Well, what have you learned about yourself over these last few years?
0: That I am me, and you don't have to find yourself in that sense. Like, you can't find yourself. You just have to have a bit of a a shorter-term goal, if that's all you need, and just get it done, and then have a next goal. Like, you, you just have to keep being yourself and okay with that and not everyone is going to like that and that's okay too and and I haven't I've always tried to please everyone so I, I'm kind of trying to stop doing that now
1: I love that I love that and I think the uniqueness of who you are embracing the little quirks mm. like, yeah
0: well that's it so I would never I'd never really embrace the introvertness like everyone just used to say I was shy or being um like just being whatever didn't want to join in or she's really boring and it's like now it's given this name it's like almost cool everyone's an introvert everyone just like it's almost the new call to not want to go out at night we're not not cool but like just everyone's realizing that we're, we're the older ones <laughs> it's too hard either that or we've become bored. <laughs> <laughs> what are what are some of the uh, the
1: daily habits your non-negotiables that um again support you trying to be your best every day
0: walking the dog mm-hmm. so getting a labrador is a great idea because she needs a lot of exercise I've, I've started F45 challenges so that's that's been really good for the fast sharp kind of and you feel really good about yourself drinking lots of tea all those sorts of things so it's just the the giving yourself those little things that make you feel better about you um and those are the daily habits i'm not i haven't got as far as the daily meditations or this or that um i put the kids to bed every night that i'm home which is most of their nights sort of um and we we have our little rituals there of reading stories together and really we spend quite a lot of time doing that so that's I, i do enjoy that
1: Mm. Yeah. Mm. And and in this comment, you know, this this webinar is all about a webinar. This podcast sorry, is all about unleashing brilliance. And uh, for me, it's I, I believe everybody has got some sort of uh, fabulousness within them, and it's it's really about being brave enough to unleash whatever that is. What does unleashing brilliance mean to you?
0: I think. And it's changed. I wouldn't have said the same thing 10 years ago. But it's around empowering. For me, it's about empowering people to be their best. And for my team, that means me giving them the tools so that they can be the best they can. So um, we, we invest a lot in this office and the environment. It's about giving them the best tools, the best skills, the best vision that I can and support so that I'm then unleashing them to be the best that they can be and that in a sense then unleashes me to be my best so it's, it's the same mm. for your kids you educate them you do your best to guide them and then they're gone
1: mm. so together we can achieve so much more exactly and um, over the years I have no doubt that you've read a whole stack of business books gone to loads of seminars uh, paid For advice, taken advice. What's the one bit of advice that you go, please don't ever listen to it?
0: Gosh. The bit that you go, that's rubbish. Yeah, well, so there's different advice for the different stages you're at, of course. And I... I'm 12 years in, so I feel like I get a chance to talk about work-life balance. But when I hear someone that's been in it for six months and they're 18 or 22 or something like that, and they're like, oh, I need more work-life balance. I'm like, whatever. (laughs) You've got to do at least 10 years before you can start saying that. So I think that depending on the stage you're at, you've got to put in the hard work. And so you can get the payoff later. But I think the advice of, you know, finding an hour a day to meditate an hour like all of the things that everyone wants for that perfect well life being is very nice but don't expect that your competitors are doing that because they're probably working very bloody hard and one of you will succeed
1: yeah love it
0: um before we end this
1: podcast i've got two more questions the first one is your top three tips to help people create awesome presentations that engage and impact,
0: what would they be? Top three would be um, planning. So you've got to plan way before. And because people get really nervous, they put it off like the dentist, right? You, You put it off because you don't want to do it. So it's the planning, it's the thinking of what you're giving your audience to help them. And that's the only reason you're there. So how are you actually helping them with that information? So, And who are your audience? So that's the, the, the main thing, is getting that planning right. Then in terms of if you need visuals to support you, which I find the best. So like I said, a, a biggest introvert, I find it brilliant knowing that my slides support what I'm saying, help my audience understand, and then make it super easy for them to remember what I've said. So that visual support and structure means that I can then talk to my presentation. But you're not having a list of words. They're not reading off the slides and then getting lost in what you're saying. So it's the planning, it's the visualization of your slides. And then your delivery is about just being you and being as authentic and real and passionate about what you're saying. Because everyone forgives a 100 sins if they can see your passion and excitement for it, and then it won't matter. Mm,
1: that's, that's great advice, Emma. So, um, last question. We are often asked what we want to be when we grow up, what we want to become. Um, probably one of the hardest questions is, what do you, Emma, want to be remembered for? What do you want people to say about you when you walk out the room?
0: I want to be remembered as someone that really was able to empower other people to be their best and a loving mother. That would be me. But if I could become a philanthropist, that would make me pretty happy because that means I've got lots of money and I can help other people.
1: Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Emma, it's been an absolute joy to chat to you, as always. Um, some key things for me, I mean, the the resounding piece around being yourself and leading as an introvert um, and I think that power of being you allows you to gift to other people, your clients, your staff, the world at large, what it is that you're supposed to do. Those three awesome tips at the end of how as individuals, leaders, organisations to use powerpoint to engage your audience and there was some really great stuff in there around um, actually being really cognizant of where your business is at and being able to stretch and grow with it so the fluidity around it the ability to pivot and zig and zag based on where the market's going versus tying yourself in and almost creating shackles around your ankles and around that just you know your passion Um, not just for what you do and the impact you're having, but your passion for the impact you're having on the people around you, your family and everyone that this this business is helping. It's been an absolute joy to have you on the podcast. Thank you so
0: much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.